Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast, a show focused on inspiring and empowering you to become a better writer. Come along as we deconstruct the tips, routines, and motivations of your favorite authors. In the end, it's all about getting your story onto the page. Welcome to episode 39, part one, How Tiffany Yates Martin Writes or is it edits? So this is a very special episode because we're going to talk all about editing. Tiffany, my guest, is a world-class developmental editor, author of her own fiction, as well as author of a wonderful new book on editing named Intuitive Editing. On top of that, Tiffany has edited many of the guests on this podcast here. We're going to get into that in just a second. So this interview is broken up into two sections, and I'm actually going to air the section in two parts. In today's episode, part one, Tiffany and I dive into the world of developmental editing, and I try to cover as many questions as I could possibly think about. So for those of you out there who you have a project and you're thinking about hiring an editor, this is a must-listen episode because Tiffany shares so much value, so much. I learned tons about the editing process, and this is even after I've worked myself with many editors. So next week in part two, we're going to dive into the specific narrative changes and edits that as an editor, she sees as getting the best bang for your writing book buck. So you don't want to miss that second part because really what you're getting is 30 years of Tiffany's editing knowledge condensed down and made available to you. So I want to say a special thank you to Tiffany. I learned so much from this interview about the entire editing process, and I have no doubt that you will love all of the knowledge bombs that Tiffany drops. And so now, without any further ado, here is the interview with Tiffany Martin Gates. Welcome to the How Writers Write podcast. I am your host, Brian, and today we are renaming the How Writers Write podcast just for one show to the How Writers Edit podcast, which as I was prepping for this episode, I thought that would be an insanely cool show, Uh, different topic altogether. So today's guest, the reason for the rename, today's guest is editor to the stars, Tiffany Yates Martin. Tiffany has spent nearly 30 years as an editor in the publishing industry, working with major publishers and best-selling and award-winning authors, as well as indie authors, and is also the author of Intuitive Editing, a creative and practical guide to revising your writing. She's led workshops and seminars for conferences and writers groups across the country and is a frequent contributor to writer sites and publications. Also, as if that's not enough. Under the pen name Phoebe Fox, I hope I said that right, Phoebe Fox, she's the author of the Breakup Doctor series, and her most recent release, A Little Bit of Grace, is due out in August. On a side note, to add just a little bit more onto this, Tiffany has edited a bunch of the authors of this podcast that I've interviewed, including Kelly Harms, Barbara O'Neill, and Amy Sue Nathan. So now we get like a look under the hood. We get the insider story. Uh of the editing world. So Tiffany, welcome. Thank you for having me. So I have uh, a zillion ways to go with this whole thing. (laughs) I have no idea 
well, where this will lead because I have I have 15 topics I could talk to you about and I'm so happy to talk to an editor. I feel like maybe this has been underserved. We've talked a lot about the creation process and the composition process, uh, not as much on the editing side, even though I think at a certain point you realize that's it. it it's a big part of this life. It's a big mm. part of this gig, right? And so to kick this whole thing off, I want to ask you a question. I want you to, uh, I'm going to read a belief to you. And I want you to rate the truthfulness of my belief. Uh, one is completely, totally, categorically incorrect. And a 10 is God's truth. Okay? Okay. Okay. So here's the belief. I am an author and I have just finished my manuscript. And I am looking to get it published, either self-published or traditional publishing. And now that my manuscript is finished, I've finished it myself. I should expect my manuscript to sail through the publishing process unchanged, earning broad praise, and it will largely be in the form in which I think it is completed in. I feel like this is a setup question. Maybe it is. <laughs> um, so where I thought you were going with that, I was going to give it a five, but now I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to lean toward one at the risk <laughs> at the risk of at the risk of. Um, Here's my fear about what writers think about the editing process, whether that's with a professional editor or your critique partner or on your own. Um, well, generally not on your own, but I feel like the fear is that somebody's going to come in with their mean red pencil and slash through your brilliance and strip it of everything that made it yours. And it's going to be horrible, like um, having a root canal, and then you're going to hate the final result. That's my fear. And okay. to me, editing is the most creative part of the process. It's the most joyful part of the process. Perhaps not while you're doing it. I will accept that it's not always the most fun to revise. Right. But I think it's where um, the real depth of the story comes. I think it's where a lot of times writers find the soul of the story and you dig out all the texture and color and dimension that you know, we have, as writers, we have this vision in our head of what we think the story is going to be, and then we put it on the page, and invariably, I think, authors are disappointed that right. it's not as vivid. It's not the Technicolor version. Editing is where you make it the Technicolor version. Right. Yeah. I, 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 that was a setup question. Nobody is surprised by me saying that. <laughs> <laughs> the, and the reason I set it up is for two reasons. The first one is I think that there's a belief that the author or the writer, I should say the writer, the writer does all of the work that goes into a book being published. And so set, saying another way, the writer is the one who sits down by themselves and writes, mm -hmm. writes it all, edits it all, and then somebody else somewhere just takes it and puts the book into print. And one right. of the things I've learned um, in my journey is just how much at a certain point it is a team collaboration. There are other people that are coming in to help you and they have opinions and their job is to make the book better and stronger, make the story really shine. And I wanted to highlight that with a, obviously a ridiculous statement. Um, but just to show that like, it is not a one person show when you're talking it, about getting a book to come to life. It really isn't. It really isn't. But I also, again, I feel like, I feel like writers fear because it's your baby, right? Like this is your brainchild and your creative soul that's coming out in the story. And I think there is a bit of resistance to the idea that somebody might, that it's not all you. 
And so the way I always put it when I'm talking to authors is that my job as an editor, any good editor's job, is really to hold up the mirror. We're really not trying to take it over. We are your collaborators in the sense that we're your sounding board. And we're reflecting back to you what's actually on the page because it's almost impossible to see that for yourself when it's your story. And helping you find what you meant to say in the first place, really. A lot of times what I hear from authors, I mean, one of the things I hear most often is, that's exactly what I meant. And it's always in there. Like the reason I'm, I'm not psychic, the reason I know that is because it's in there. You just are a little bit blind to it because you don't have objectivity and I do. Yeah. It, it almost reminds me sometimes when I am coaching somebody, mm-hmm. um, I'll point something out and I'll say like, hey, I'm, I'm seeing this right now. It can be anything. How do you react to that? And they do like the proverbial hand slap on the forehead. Yes. And they're like, oh my gosh, what? That was right in front of me. How did I not yes. see that? That's so obvious. I'm so dumb. I'm so crazy. And my, my point to them is like, like, I almost think it's an innate part of the human experience that we are not able to exist outside of community. I think there's a really mm. powerful truth mm. in that, that we actually need other people to see us because we can see we can see ourselves to a degree, but like, boy, with having another set of eyes looking at you without judgment is a really powerful partnership. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I think it brings out a lot of creativity, a lot more creativity, because as you said, it's without judgment. It's a safe space for you to flex your creative muscles. Right. Yeah. I just want to take this one more analogy further because I, I feel like it's so important and I, I love how much it highlights your heart and the heart of what editing should be, not the perception that I think it has, which is um, a lot of times I'm, my wife and I, when we're talking about the hard things we've done in life or the challenges we've had to overcome, both as a couple or even as an individual, a lot of times we talk about the idea that we're like a super person that individually we wouldn't be able to do the thing we went through. It's some really tough parts of life, right, that everybody hits up against. But it's the combination of those two things that almost, it's like one plus one equals three. And in some way I, I view and believe what you're saying to be that same principle. But in, I love that analogy, and I agree with it, not just with your partner, if you're lucky enough to find that, and isn't that what most of us are looking right. for, yeah. but um, right. with your close friends and your community, because if you think about what, that, what you're actually saying is it makes you better. It makes yeah. you more of who you want to be, and that's a perfect analogy for working with somebody who has the best interests of you and your story at heart. Right. It just makes it more of what you want it to be. I love that. I love it. So I, I want to break up our chat into two buckets. Um, bucket one, I think it'd be really helpful uh, to go through just like the nuts and bolts of working with an editor. Because I bet Ooh. you there's there's a ton of people listening who are beautiful writers, who are getting projects finished or are working on projects. And they're hearing what we're talking about. And they're like, that's great, but it's not for me, or is it for me, or what should I think about? And, and I'd actually love to just kind of go through some fundamental uh, questions about working with an editor. I love that, and yeah. I rarely get asked that. Hey, all right. So, so I want to start there, but then I also want to bleed into um, how writers and, uh, can embody and take on 
that editor mind frame when mm-hmm. they are composing and the things that they can do to essentially, I don't want to say self-edit, but certainly to a certain degree, um, start reading as an editor, writing as an editor, um, all of those things. Sound I love good? it. Okay. Perfect. So, so let's kick off this first bucket. The nuts and bolts bucket is what we'll say. There's a big bucket. It's filled with nuts and bolts. We're going to put some more in there. So <laughs> let's start at the most broad abstract we can go, which okay. is what like exactly does an editor do in the writing and publishing process? So the, probably the, we should back up one little step and talk about the types of editing. Oh, that was uh, my next question. Okay, let's reverse can I, it. Then. Can I start with it then? Because you, I think you have freestyle. to. Yeah, freestyle. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Um, because if you say you're having your book edited, it could mean a great many things. Right, right. Um, so the first step is usually the developmental edit. That's what I do. And that's someone who works with you on making sure the story is as complete and effective on the page as y'all are capable of making it together. And that means story questions, it means building character, it means all the craft elements of, uh, you know, structure, point of view, suspense and tension, everything you read, you know, all the books, the shelf full of books we all have. And that's just like, that is a deep dive into your story. And then there is, and that I recommend, For anybody who's self-publishing, I strongly recommend a developmental edit. If you're looking for an agent, if you are already agented and being published, it's optional. I work, you know, I work with some authors who are multi-published and they already have even contracts, but publishing has changed and you don't, you know, the days of Max Perkins working side by side with his authors, they're, they're mostly over. There are a couple of publishers who do that, but not very many. And so a lot of authors, it's helpful. To, like I'll do generally I do three passes, three full edit passes with an author. And that's a lot of circling in on what your story is. And, and so let me pause you just for one second. Cause when, when you say you do three full passes, you mean you are going through the manuscript three times and specifically focusing on the characters and the voice and dialogue and all of the pieces of the story that could be tightened up and strengthened. The way that I usually do it, I start with a cold read. So I actually read it four times in that case because I have to plant my feet in the story and I have to orient myself to the world before I can have any hope of knowing what to do as an editor. And then I go through and I do the really, really deep dive. And with the three different, um, when I'm doing three passes with an author, which is how I work with publishers generally, and I prefer to work that way, we start with the big picture stuff. So we'll generally start with what you said, like, um, the character, plot, stakes, the big suspense and tension, how's momentum, that kind of thing. And then as we go, it's almost like, um, I always liken it to a sculptor. First you rough out the shape. And then once you have it, you just go over and over and over it until you have the David. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we get into progressively finer passes. And by the last one, we're really looking at little micro stuff like line editing, which is another type of editing, which is often part of a developmental edit, but doesn't have to be. The other thing, here's, okay, quick digression. The annoying thing about these terms is that if you ask a dozen people, you're liable to get at least a half a dozen different definitions (laughs) of each of these. Mine are right, just kidding. Um, We're just going to go with yours on this show. This is now, this is now gospel for- It's it's how how writers edit. How writers edit. So a line edit, in my view, is when I'm looking at the actual prose and I'm helping, it's not a copy edit. A copy edit is like spelling and grammar and punctuation and continuity and consistency and 
um, fact checking and that kind of thing. A line edit is looking at the actual prose and saying, this would be maybe more effective if we tightened it up, or this is a redundant thought. You've already said the same thing in a different way up here, or, you know, this is a wordy way of saying something, or you've used the word, um, you know, abashed 15 times. Maybe we should... <laughs> adjust that and then on the last and then that's it for me and then it goes on to copy editing um, after the authors finalized it um, and this is in the publishing world this is also stuff you can do on your own copy editing also if you're self publishing I strongly recommend it because you are competing with everything that is published by every publisher everywhere and you need to be competitive which means readers if they see a bunch of typos and um, improper grammar, they will disengage from your story no matter how good it is. Yeah, let's pause for a second there too, because yeah. because you said a word that I want to clarify. What what do you mean when you say be competitive? That's a good question. Um, I mean that when okay, so if you get on Amazon or a bookshop or wherever you buy your books and you look for something to read, you're browsing the virtual shelves. You are, there's a, I think something like how many millions of books are listed now? Many. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really an insane number. And the number that gets published every day is crazy. Right. If you want to, um, and by compete with that, I don't mean the literal meaning of it. I mean, if you want to be seen as on the same level, if you want to be taken as seriously, as seriously as anything published by the big five or any other publisher you better look like them. You better, right. you better be top quality. Is is it um, is it in a sense fulfilling the reader's expectation of quality? Mm-hmm. That's a good way to put it. Would that, be a, would that be a way to put it? You know, the, here's the thing. It's like it's like okay, why don't you go to work dressed like we're all dressed right now in quarantine? Because what are you talking about? I'm wearing a hoodie. <laughs> what do you mean? Okay, we work from home, but normal people, if you go to an office, why don't you wear? Why don't you wear uh, what I what a friend of mine just referred to as your door pants, which is the the pants you leave by the door so that you remember to put them on when somebody comes to the door because no one does anymore. <laughs> um, so we do it because there's a certain expectation of professionalism, right? You're not going to be taken seriously if you walk into a meeting wearing your hoodie and your yoga pants, unless you're working right. in like a tech company. Right. So it's the same kind of thing. You're sitting and let's say you're in a real life shelf, picture that. It never happens anymore. But right. if you go into a bookstore and you pick up a book that might be a brilliant story, but the cover is kind of blurry and out of focus and you open it and the first thing you see is a bunch of typos or bad grammar, you're not going any, you're not right. going any further. Yes. It's, it's a barrier between the reader and you. Right. Why, why put it up? Right. Yep. And then okay. proofreading is the last thing. And that's, that is <laughs> once upon a time when I first started in the business 15 million years ago, uh, proofreading, I would get the original manuscript that had been marked up by the copy editor and everybody else who'd ever worked on it. So it was this crazy document and the galleys, which is a stack of typewriter pages, basically um, with the, you've seen galleys. It's like what yeah. the final yeah. thing is going to yeah. look like, what the final book layout is going to look at. And you are meticulously checking one against the other to make sure every single thing from the original got into the galleys. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore because Right. That's not really how publishing works anymore. We just use the file. <laughs> right. Yeah. You think you think it used to be technology. Set. Yeah. Technology has like adopted that. I know. Changed that. I don't know. I think about the whole typesetting industry and what happened to those people. I know. It's like it's like 
so many of those industries that just mm-hmm. are critical and then change or die though, right? Them, right? Yeah. And so, okay. So if we were to recap on, cause you answered question one and number two in one fell swoop. So if we were to recap. Bam, that's how editors do it. Boom. Uh, <laughs> if we were to recap the, the linear progression of the editing process, and these may not be with the same people and, and chances are they won't be, it would go manuscript, mm-hmm. development editor, mm-hmm. line editor, copy editor, proofreader. Yes. Bada boom, bada bing, it's out in the world. Yes. Okay. Do you need to hire all of those? No, not necessarily. Right. And so that, that was my next question, which was, um, how should then, because that sounds overwhelming, like, mm-hmm. like, it, it, like now all of a sudden the listeners are saying, I, here is yet another <laughs> thing I'm not doing as a writer. <laughs> and I want to then, you know, kobash that. Let's put the brakes on that. When should and in what conditions should a writer who has a finished manuscript or almost finished manuscript start thinking about working with an editor? And let's start first with the self-published, because I think a lot of people fall into that bucket, self-published writers, and then touch on uh, traditionally published writers. Okay. Can I answer this in two ways? Yes. Excellent. Um, I actually created this big guide about this exact this oh, exact it. thing because I agree with you. This is sort of um, opaque to most. Is, is this guide public? Just just while we're here, it's all, I have it on a, like it's an extra. If you sign up on my newsletter, you okay. get it. Ooh. But I've been thinking of making it just available because I okay. think it's useful and because more and more, um, you know, anybody can hang out an editing shingle, and right. I think you need to be an informed consumer, and yes. so it's really important to me to have this out there. So I may just stick it out. So, so could, could you, um, could we post that link in the show notes then? And, um, listeners could go to the link and download it on your website. Yes. Okay. Awesome. So here comes the guide, but this will be available in the show notes. So there's two, there's two ways to look at when you are ready for an edit. Um, there's when you're actually ready to hire an editor, which I'll talk about in a second. And then there's, when do you actually need an edit? So if you are self-publishing, I would say you probably definitely need a developmental edit and a copy edit mm-hmm. at the least. And most developmental editors will be doing some line editing. So that's a nice, like a nice little value add. I don't, I don't think very often do you have to get a line edit all by itself, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. As um, If you are with an agent, looking for an agent, you don't, I would say developmental editing is really helpful but I also, in my book, I have a whole chapter on options if you can't afford to do that or don't want to do that. I mean, it's a healthy investment. Not everybody can or should do it. That's the next question, but keep going. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Yeah. So um, if you feel like you, so sometimes you may have great beta readers, you may have a great critique group who give you excellent feedback, but it's not always actionable. And to me, that's what makes an edit useful. If you're getting feedback that is very specific, and very actionable. So if you feel like you need that because you're lost a little bit in the story or something's not working and you cannot figure out why and you've tried everything you know, a developmental edit is a great idea whether you are traditionally publishing or agented or not. If you are looking for an agent, I strongly think it's a good idea because it will make you um, just as tight and polished as you can be. And, you know, you got to get off the slush pile and you get one chance to impress each agent. Right. Yep. Okay. And so um, if we had to ballpark, and I'm not talking like the 20% on either side, but like if we were talking about the 80% cost range 
of working with a development editor, developmental editor, development, developmental, developmental editor, yeah. uh, line edit, copy edit, and proofwriter. Let's just say a writer is like, I'm going all in. I'm going to invest in each bucket. Uh, what should a writer expect to pay for a good, not exorbitant, but good? And I know I can already see you that you don't want to give a price, but like, no, like I don't what, mind at oh, all oh, giving oh, a price. But oh, wait till you hear my answer. <laughs> well, I well let let me say it this way. I know it's the answer is almost always it varies. That is exactly. If, I know, I know, I know. But if somebody had, if you had to give yeah, yeah, yeah. a rough number for yeah. each one of those, I can do that. And you are forced to on the How Writers Edit podcast. Okay. Approximately, Which apparently, I am. <laughs> <laughs> approximately, what would those costs be? Okay, first thing I want to say is a great place to start is the Editorial Freelancers Association. They have a page of published rates, which is from surveys from all the members who report what they charge. And so that gives you a really good kind of chunky bell curve of what to expect. And you will find it is all over the map. Mm-hmm. I would say mid-range for a good experienced and again, um, a lot of us charge by the hour or by the word. I charge by the word because I think it's the most fair for authors and a lot of people do. So it also is going to depend on the length of your work. And it's also, frankly, going to depend on the state that it's in. Right. Um, so let's just put everything in the middle of the ballpark. I would say it's probably, let's say you have an 80,000 word manuscript, about average, and for a good developmental edit, you can probably plan to spend at least $3,000 on that. Okay. And anywhere up to maybe as high as, if you're doing multiple pass edits, as high as six, sometimes maybe even seven. Okay. If it goes much farther beyond that, and there are editors who charge it, I'm a big fan of saying walk away. <laughs> because while it's an incredibly valuable service, you don't want to mortgage your life for it. I mean, if you have all the discretionary income in the world, go for it, I guess. But right. I, I don't know why you would. <laughs> right. And then right. copy editing, uh, gosh, it's been a long time since I did it, but I think going rates are somewhere around maybe 35 to 50 an hour right now. And I think uh, one of the nice things about the rate page I just told you about is that it also has an hourly average of how fast most editors work. And I think for that, it's five to 10 pages an hour. Okay. So you can rough that out. Proofreading, I'm not as familiar with anymore. So I would say add on another maybe five to hundred to a thousand for that. And then that's all. Okay. But really that, all, I mean, you don't need the line edit. I mean, the copy edit or the proofread unless you are self-publishing. Right. That, that is something that will get um, uh, attended to in the traditional publishing. Absolutely. Model. Right. Yeah. But if you are line editing or copy editing, um, having those extra set of eyes is, I, I agree with you wholehearted. If you spend years on a book or years learning in a long time on a book, like even if it's not, um, you know, years on one project, but like this, this is a marathon. A lot of us have been writing for a long time, decades or, or yeah. many years just to get to the finish line and have an obvious typo that you didn't see on the first page and somebody puts it down. That's a tragedy. Yeah, and so I, I agree with you that that if you can afford it, there is um, huge value in this whole process. As somebody is thinking about this, then if they're like, "Okay, I, this sounds good. I, I think I want to engage with a service like this." Like, where would you, if you are a writer and you weren't, uh, you know, development 
delightful developmental editor to the stars, how would you go about finding a developmental editor or a copy editor or line editor? These are the best questions. Okay, this is in my guide again. It's just, I, I, I want to get really specific for people so that they're like, oh, okay, this is really actionable. I can do something with this information. Yeah. Um, this is brilliant question. So where would you find them? I have in the guide, I have a list of um, very specific organizations. So the problem is that there is no official governing body for this. Mm -hmm. So in fact, even the Editorial Freelancers Association, all, all you do is send them your money and you're a member, boom, you're an editor. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Readsy is the same way. Readsy is a great place to look, but um, it's a clearinghouse for people who are listing their credits and that's great. So it's really on you. If you were buying a car or a mattress, you would do your due diligence, do it for an editor too. But there are some good reputable places to look. There's like the New York book editors. There's some collab, uh, like co-ops full of editors. Um, I think Australia and the UK and Canada, I think each have like an official editor umbrella organization. It's a great place to start. But again, even if you go to them, then it's on you to vet that editor. And yeah. vetting can look like a lot of different things. I, I put in the guides questions you can ask, things to look for. Um, I always advise do not hire an editor without a sample edit mm -hmm. because they need to see if they're a good... Okay, here's another reason to run away. If an editor tells you, if you say, well, what genres do you do you edit in? And they go, oh, all the genres. Run, run, run away. It would be like me asking you what you write and you say the same thing. <laughs> of course you don't, right? It's, <laughs> it's impossible. None of right. us can be that. I mean, you'd have to be a savant to be right. that good in all the genres. Right. Good editors know what they're good at. And it's generally a handful of genres. So okay. that's the first thing to look for. Um, and then you look at their resume and are they legit credits? And by legit, I don't mean it necessarily has to have been traditionally published, but is it, are these people, you don't want someone who a newspaper editor is not necessarily going to be useful to you right. with your novel. Um, a college professor is not necessarily going to be useful to you. So you want someone who works in full length, either fiction or nonfiction in your genre. You want to know that they have a track record. Ideally, you'd like to see and or talk to some people who've worked with them. You want to know the sample edit is important because A, you need to know if they're a good fit. B, this is the most weirdly intimate, impersonal relationship you'll ever have. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. It's someone you may never meet in person and may never even see face-to-face -face before right. the time of you know rampant Zooming. But Nonetheless, it feels like they know you inside and out. Yeah, they look into your soul. <laughs> they look into your soul, no lie. Yeah. And so you better, they better get you, right? They better yeah. get your story. If they're coming in and they, and they don't get your vision and they want you to go in another direction that is not organic to what you're trying to do, that's not the editor for you. doesn't mean they're a bad editor. They're just not for you. So you yeah. have to find all that out. And literally, the only way to do that is in a sample. And it could be like, I'm a really hands-on editor and I... Um, I'm pretty exhaustive in my feedback. It's like some might say painfully exhaustive, but, but my theory is I want to shine the light in every single corner so that you have everything I can give you to work with. And I can say, here is exactly what I'm seeing on the page. Do with this what you will, right? It's up to you, mm -hmm. but that could be too much for some authors. Yeah. It's a really personal thing. So you may want someone who doesn't work like that. You may, tact is a big thing. Some people are more direct. Some people need a little more sugar coating. Mm -hmm. So you got to find someone who works for you.
Yeah. And then, so you get the sample back and you assess that and then you ask the follow-ups, do not work without a contract. Um, that's about it. Yeah. This, it's such a, um, this is such a wonderful overview. I wish I had heard this. So I, in our prep call, uh, for the, for this interview, I, I had shared that I've had not great experiences with some editors and, um, I went back and I went through that. Like I, I wanted to, you know, sometimes you remember stuff and you don't remember correctly, you know? Yeah. And like so childbirth. I went, yeah. Right. <laughs> I, ooh, I get so rabbit holes on that story. I'm not going to do that. But, um, yeah, so I went back and I, and I reviewed my notes and I, w- I reviewed the edit. Like I actually could go back in my email and get the edit. And I, um, I've hired, personally, I've hired three editors, three development editors on Readsy, all three. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 I in no way will say it was a bad experience and in no way would I say it was like a good experience. I'm not sure how much was usable that came out of it. And, and the, the edits were... Um, so some of them actually, that's not fair. Some of them were really bad. There's one that was awful. So I'll just say that, but not naming names. Um, so I'd like to know, we kind of touched on this, but I'd like to try and just zoom in a little bit closer as we round out the nuts and bolts section of the How Writers Edit podcast. Um, I wish I had known maybe like three to five red flags or questions that I need to look for because all three of the editors I hired had wonderful resumes, pretty good reviews. But as you said, there's no governing body. There's no one to stamp quality when it comes to, to the development editing. And it very much is like what one writer can try and um, ascertain about the editor is kind of right. the, the best thing. You, you kind of play detective a little bit. Um, there's not yeah. like an Amazon, I, I don't know, maybe Reedsy has more of it, but there's not like, you know, a thousand Amazon reviews for an editor on Reedsy. It's that funny. My husband was just know. saying, we need to create editor Yelp. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and I had thought Reedsy would be that. I'm not sure if they have, like I said, it's been a couple of years since I've used They do them. have testimonials on okay. there from clients, I think. Okay. But again, you know, that's, a, that's blind, just like Yelp is blind. You don't know. You don't know yeah. if this is someone either with an ax to grind or who's BFFs with the editor. It's right. really hard to find out. This right. brings us actually back, uh, circles us back to somewhere I wish I had gone and didn't. So one of the best ways to find an editor that you might want to work with is from word of mouth authors yeah. that you know. And not only that, but authors whose books you've loved. If you look in the acknowledgments of pretty much any book, they're going to thank their editor. And if they're traditionally published, it's not always, um, it's not always a freelancer, but anymore, just as often it might be. And certainly most self-published books who have uh, any self-published book probably that has an editor is going to have had a freelance editor. And so that's yeah. a great way. Ask your writing community who they like, see who the buzz is about, who they're talking about. Um, I'm a member of the Women's Fiction Writers Association. They have a Facebook, uh, private Facebook page where you can get on there and you can ask questions if you have resources for something like that. Oh, that's great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What was the I, second part of your question? Um, I, I, yeah. I, well, I wanted to know like, what are some as, oh yeah, yeah. What, what are like the three to five, if you are a writer and you, you are not a development editor and you are but you know everything you know. <laughs> Fun. Uh, how would you interview, like specifically, like what are the three to five questions that you would be looking to have answered before you hired one? Um, the stuff I just talked about, the sort yeah. of um, technical stuff, you know, what's your mm-hmm. genre? How do you like to work is something okay. I'll 
I would ask. But the you asked about red flags. I think that's really interesting because yeah. I, I do think there are some. One of, and my biggest one is an editor, no matter what, should treat you and your work with respect. Mm. And I, I have heard some horror stories about, um, I don't know how I want to say this, like little Napoleonic complexes sometimes <laughs> because editing is a bit, and this is going to sound wrong, it's a bit powerful because you are taking somebody's work and from on high, you know, you are reporting back on what you see and what you yeah. might suggest. So I think there can be the tendency to, especially after you've done maybe dozens or hundreds of manuscripts to say, I know best, but you know, you don't. It's not your story. And so I have heard horror stories where editors speak to and about authors and their work in a way that I find to be incredibly destructive. We don't exist without authors. So right. as far as I'm concerned, y'all are God. <laughs> <laughs> and frankly, you are God because it's your story and an editor can suggest all day, but ultimately it's up to you what feels right for your story. And I say that in every editorial letter I write, take yeah. what works, toss what doesn't. I'm giving you everything I got, but it doesn't mean it's not prescriptive. Yeah. It's for you to decide what is best. I'm holding up the mirror. So respect would be a huge one. Tact and um, more so than tact, I would say a positive and constructive approach would mm -hmm. be a huge one. It's really easy to say this isn't working, but what do you do with that as a writer? Yeah. So, um, and frankly, this isn't working is a really subjective thing to say, because what do you know? You're one person. Yeah, you're an editor and you may have worked in the industry for a long time, but you're still a human being mm -hmm. with preferences and it may not work to you and it may hit somebody else absolutely perfect. So you might say something like, um, this doesn't feel as effective as it could be. Here's why. And here are a couple of ways you could address that. Not specific ways, just saying, you know, maybe give, show us a little more clearly what her reasoning is for saying this. Mm -hmm. So it's always back in the author's lap. And that's part of it too. Like, are they telling you what to do or are they asking you the right questions so that you can figure out what you need to do for your story? Yep. Okay. This is perfect. And, and it's a perfect, you keep giving me perfect transitions to the next question. So I appreciate your... <laughs> Uh, un, un, no, uh, you know, uh, unforeseen transition. It's called guidance. intuitive editing. Yeah, your, your, your intuitive transition <laughs> guidance. Um, the, my, my last question for you is, okay, so we've gone through the whole process. We know the red flags. We know how much about we're going to pay. And we have a good sense of maybe where we can find one. Um, I'm, still, I'm still a little question mark on that one, but, but there are places. There are places where we can go to find editors. My yeah, and question. go to my guide because like, I have a yeah. list of maybe 15 or more places. Yeah, we're about to blow up your email list right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, the last question is what, okay, so I've paid the money, I've got this person, I love them, and they have edited my uh, manuscript. What should I expect back? What do I get from a development? Ooh, you ask such good questions that seem so obvious to someone who's done it, but you're right. How would you, on earth would you know this? So what you will get back from me and probably most editors is a, a developmental or an editorial letter, which is, <laughs> as one of my authors put it, um, about five to 10 pages of head explosion. <laughs> and, and that is the big picture overview. When I'm writing it, it's here's what I see overall. Here are the areas, the general, here's what's working really great because frankly, it's equally important to point out what's working great. Because when 
If you don't, it's easy for an author to think, oh my God, it all sucks. It never all sucks. There's always just um, points of points that could be more effective if they were shored up. And that's what an editor's pointing out, but you also need to know what's working really well. So it'll point out that. It'll generally I'll break it down into topics. Like I'll say, okay, the main things I'm seeing here are that we're not the character arcs aren't as clear as they could be. I'm not sure of the central story question, and stakes don't feel as high as they could be. And that's mm. just a random sampling. I might say anything. Yep. And then I'll go through and under each of those topics, I'll elaborate. Maybe ad nauseum. <laughs> but I want to be really like like I said, I want to be really clear and just say, here's this is your best chance to see your manuscript from the outside. And so yeah. I want to give you that as clearly as I possibly can. And then uh, in addition to that, you'll get your manuscript back with embedded comments, hundreds and hundreds of embedded comments. And those are meant to build on and clarify everything in the editorial letter. So if I said something like um, stakes don't feel as high around her relationship with her husband as might be effective for us to really deeply invest in the marriage. Then when, I, when you go into the manuscript and you find the embedded notes, I would say, here's a place where it feels like she's a little bit indifferent to him. And you know, maybe you could show us what she's feeling here. Or you know, is there a reason that we're not seeing any of his reactions? Or like I said, it's always phrased in questions because I want you to consider these things and find out what works best for your story. Yep. That's, that's all you get, but it's a lot. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, as you're talking about that, I, I think there's probably a lot of people listening who will think that sounds absolutely majestic. Um, it's majestic. Having, yeah. It's a roadmap. Yeah. It's the clearest roadmap to your story. Right. And, and I think um, I'm going to just tangent for one second, which is I think for the writers out there, um, you know, Tiffany has done such a good job of, and you can tell as, as we're talking here, her thoughtfulness in the editing process and the amount that she takes into account the feelings and state of the writer, knowing that like, as writers, we've maybe sat for years alone working on this, and then somebody gets it and makes some comments that we might be like, oh, I don't, I don't agree with that or whatever. Um, maybe, maybe we think they don't understand their genius. Uh, and so I, what, what I want to do is for those people out there who may potentially be looking at an editor, development editor, is to encourage you to, um, whenever you get edits like this, is to accept them with grace. Um, you don't have to take any edits and the story is still your story and uh, you get to pull out of it what you want to pull out of it. And it, even when you sometimes like I've gotten some really tough feedback that I wanted to get upset about and um, have had to kind of learn through a zillion workshops how to um, acknowledge that this is that person's experience with my story. And to validate that experience, because to invalidate that experience um, kind of starts to tread you into really um, murky waters as a storyteller. Um, and so uh, as you get these edits, as we round out this nuts and bolts, as you get these edits, to um, gracefully accept this amazing feedback that somebody else is giving you before it gets into the hands of a reader who might have the exact same reaction as something you could have fixed. And so uh, I think this is super helpful. Thank you for section one on this. Any cool. closing thoughts to, was... to wrap up with? Yeah, I, based on what you were just saying, I was thinking that it, this is a subjective business and you're right. Um, hopefully in a good positive edit, nothing is intended to hurt or attack you or your story, but a lot of it will smart. 
even if it's as well-intentioned as anything in the world and totally positive, we all want to finish our story and think it is perfect. Yes. And so I always encourage authors after they get all that feedback, um, take it in, read it once, and then step away from it for at least a day or two because it hurts and you have to give the wound time to close over. And then also, and, and let me just also say the universal reaction, including me when I get edits is you don't know what you're talking about. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to give two couple of days for that to get over, for, to get over yourself. And then you can start to percolate on what is in there and decide, okay, it does hurt sometimes to look at areas of your story that aren't as effective as you thought they were. But that's also where that magic that I talked about happens yeah. when you really dig in deep and go, okay, I didn't, I didn't get it on the first time at bat, but you know what? In no other area of life do we expect to, I don't think. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to play violin, you would understand you might have to rehearse for mm -hmm. hundreds and hundreds of hours. If you were going to be a doctor, you, you don't get to start on people. You know, you start on cadavers. It's the same thing. Sometimes you have to, you have to just keep swinging. Yeah. But yeah. you'll get there. Yeah. And I think while we're on this topic, as we were just discussing it, it brought me back to some of the other um, topics that we've discussed, which is um, making sure in this writing life, you really thought through your North Star. Because mm -hmm. if your goal in this whole thing is to look super smart, and to have people congratulate you on how smart and how prolific and how amazing of a writer you are, this is going to hurt. <laughs> it's going to hurt. If your North Star is to tell a beautiful story and to get a story from your heart onto the page, this is an unbelievably amazing process because it will only help you do that. And I think a lot of times when it hurts, it's the ego being like, well, no, I'm blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's this ego speaking that doesn't like to feel like we are these majestic creatures that we are, that we believe we are on the inside, you know? And so having that North Star defined before you go into this process, I think would probably really help too. Because if you look at the development editor as someone here to help you, you know, like the Gandalf to help you get this story even more tight, then it's a beautiful thing, you know, as opposed to somebody who might insult your intelligence and quality of storytelling, that's probably not going to end well. I think the Gandalf might be my favorite metaphor okay. that I've heard. Perfect. What a, what, a, what, a great way, what a great way to wrap up this uh, first section. So now I want to talk about, uh, and, and we're, I just want to do a quick time check here because I feel like there's a whole nother bucket of topics to talk about, but we're pretty much through one podcast. Maybe I'll break this up into two uh, because I, I feel like there's just so much more to talk about and so much more value that, that we can talk about here. So if you're good to go another like 20, 30 yeah. minutes, we'll just keep rolling. Love yeah. to. Thank you again to Tiffany for her time and stay tuned next week for part two. If you haven't yet, I say this every week, please go rate and review our wonderful little podcast here. It helps so much. It helps spread the word, helps give us feedback, and it just means the world to me. Also, check us out on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, wherever you might be. Lastly, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful week of writing.